Billy Sunday was a Major League Baseball player in the late 1800s. He was well-known by baseball enthusiasts as a very fast man who was perhaps the most daring base stealer in the entire game. Billy Sunday left it all, that lucrative career, to become an evangelist. Uh, the story is told that Sunday had written a letter to a mayor of a large city asking for the names and telephone numbers of individuals who might need spiritual help and prayer. Sunday was quite surprised that he received back a telephone directory. <laughs> I think that's appropriate, is it not? If you will, if you could take one telephone directory, it'd be big, and look at all people ever born, past, those in the present, and then those in the future, all would be under the same category. We would label us all sinners sinners. So as we're thinking uh, about God's righteousness today, as we're working through this series on the attributes of God, remember us the communicable attributes, those attributes that belong to God, but that he also shares with his children. So here are a few questions to get us thinking as you're turning to Psalm 11. Is there anyone who is righteous based upon his or her own merits? Also, number two, how do we learn about righteousness today? We hear often, do the right thing, but what is the right thing? And how do we learn what the right thing is to do? And then even more importantly, how can sinful people become righteous? Let me read to you now Psalm 11. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee? As a bird to your mountain, for look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals. Fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you truly are righteous and that you love righteousness. So help us to understand better today your righteous nature and how we are to live righteously before you. Bless, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first point today, very simply stated, God is righteous. God is righteous. Uh, David's in trouble here. He's the one who's written this psalm, and it seems that arrows are aimed at him, at the upright in heart. That's what it says in verse 2. And then in verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, and by the way, the word foundations can also mean pillars. So we're looking at the pillars or the foundations. So the question is asked, if the foundations or the pillars are destroyed, what can the righteous do? 
I'm thinking in our context, David is referring to himself because he's the leader of a nation. And if you take down a righteous leader, then what will the people do? Do you recall the prediction from Zechariah chapter 13 in verse 7? If you smite the shepherd, referring to Jesus Christ, what will happen with the sheep? They will flee. So there's an attack upon David. There is a group of people that are trying to take him down. And if the foundations or the pillars are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is not unaware of these things. He's looking down. He's evaluating what is taking place. But then the statement here concerning the protection for the righteous, because we turn to the righteous Lord to protect righteous people. For the Lord is righteous, this is verse 7, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. Let's consider Abraham. Genesis chapter 18, God is contemplating destroying Sodom, and Abraham goes to prayer. Lord, if you're 50 righteous, if you're 45, and he starts to work down to 10. But there is a family, a particular family, that Abraham is concerned about, Lot and his family. But in Genesis 18, in verse 25, Abraham appeals to the Lord because it said there, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. See, Abraham understood that God has a righteous nature, so he could appeal to that righteous nature. And God, in his mercy, brought Lot and his wife. Unfortunately, she was destroyed because she looked back and Lot's daughters out. Righteous nature. So we're talking about God is righteous, but by way of extension, so is Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10 and verse 30, he says to a group of hostile Jews, I and the Father are one. We have one of the same essence. And we also learn of Jesus Christ from the book of Hebrews chapter 13, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So number one, God is righteous. Since we know that he is righteous, how do we learn more? about righteousness, and that gives us point number two. God's righteous nature is revealed in his word. Let me say it again. God's righteous nature is revealed in his word. Would you turn with me to Psalm 19, a few pages over, Psalm 19. As you're turning to Psalm 19, I want to give you four eyes thinking about God's righteous nature being revealed in his word. Four words that begin with the letter I. And the first one is initiation. Initiation. When God wanted to reveal himself to mankind, he began with a general revelation, and that is creation itself. Uh, Let me read to you verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, 
and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Uh, we have a great statement made here in verse one. Actually, it's repeated. We call it a synonymous parallelism. The second line basically is restating the same truth presented in the first line. The heavens, the shamayim, do what they declare. And the verb here means to recount, to number, or declare. So the heavens, if you will, are personified, and they are testifying to what? The glory of God. And with God's artistic brush, daily we see his glory. Look at verse 2. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. The person of God is revealed through creation. Uh, Romans 1.20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. In essence, Paul goes on to show that God's nature— is revealed through creation. That's quite a statement. Uh, as you work through this psalm, uh, it gets intriguing because we go from the general revelation of God from creation to the special revelation of God in his word. Just for instance, in verse 8, the statutes of the Lord are, and here's our term, right, rejoicing the heart. So we have initiation. We start to understand who God is from his word, and the word explains not only creation, but who is the one who made the heavens and the earth. Then we go to incarnation. Incarnation, big term, uh, simply means that God took on flesh. Jesus Christ took on humanity. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, coming down to verse 18. See, because you have to recall that God is a spirit. Uh, you cannot see God. He is invisible. Often the terms attributed to God are theophanies, a revelation of God through different means. Or we have anthropomorphisms, human attributes attributed to God so we can understand who he is better. But John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. You could actually translate this, he has exegeted him. He is the one who has led forward to show the nature of the invisible God. See, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because Jesus took on flesh to reveal the nature, God's righteous nature, to mankind. That's who he is. That is what he has done. And the incarnation bears this out. Think about it further we have inspiration. Inspiration is our third eye. Uh, this time, instead of Psalm 19, let's go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Long psalm, is it not? Mostly about the Word of God. But look down to verse 144. This is Psalm 119, 144. The righteousness of your testimonies is everlasting. So what do we know about God's righteous nature in revealed in his word? It's eternal. 
See, every word of God is pure. We also learn from verse 160, staying in the same psalm, the entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures how long? Forever. And then finally now, verse 172. My tongue, writes the psalmist, shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteous. So God's righteous nature is revealed in his word. We see the first eye initiation referring to creation, incarnation that God took on flesh, inspiration because the word of God is inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's the opnustas, it's God breathe. So these three references we just examined from Psalm 119 testify to God's word being inspired, why it is eternal. It is righteously eternal. And then we go to our fourth I now, illumination. Illumination, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you would turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 12, because when Jesus left, he did not leave us as orphans. He gave us another, another the same kind helper, the Holy Spirit, who would not only be among the disciples, said Jesus to his learners, but he would be in them. And that happens in Acts chapter 2 on a day of Pentecost. So the Spirit of God is within us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. We need God's Spirit to turn on the light. We call it illumination for us to understand what is written in this sacred text. Let me illustrate. Luke chapter 24, two disciples were traveling from Jerusalem all the way up to Emmaus. That would be seven miles. Jesus had been crucified. These two individuals are broken. Their hope is lost. They think their Savior is in the tomb, and if you will, they're dragging their knuckles probably with heads down. And Jesus joins them, but it was incognito. They did not know that it was their Lord. And as Jesus is walking with me, he says, why are you guys so sad? What's wrong? One of the disciples says, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know these things? And he tells the story of Christ's crucifixion. But as Jesus walks with him, he unfolds the word of God. He unfolds it in such a way that something significant begins to happen in their hearts, because he started with Moses, he works through the prophets, and he points them to himself, Jesus Christ. And in Luke 24, 31, then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, 
Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? That's the right kind of biblical heart burn. That is the illumination because Jesus revealed himself. Today we have the Spirit of God to help us to understand his righteous nature as revealed in the scripture. So number one, God is righteous. Number two, God's righteous nature is revealed in his word. And now number three, God's righteousness is received by faith. Let's go to the book of Romans right now, Romans chapter one, and we want to look at the theme of the book of Romans found in chapter one, down in verses 16 and 17. Again, our third point, God's righteousness is received by faith. Paul writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. See, it's universally available. For the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, referring back to the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul picks up on a major theme, first found back in Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith. Then we have it here in Romans 1.17. Next, we have it in Galatians 3.11, and then over in Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 38, the just shall live by faith. But we learn about God's righteousness and how he wants to impart or impute, to put into our account that righteousness. This is what Paul is getting at. This is what he believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus came and that he died for sinners. He was crucified. Three days later, he was raised from the dead, and that is why he can offer the gift of eternal life to all. That is who he is. Now, there's an interesting thing I'd like to point out to you from verse 18, chapter 1. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed. The term revealed appears first in the Greek sentence because the emphasis is upon the wrath of God being revealed. It is God's wrath that is being revealed and from where heaven. Chapter 1 in verse 18 all the way through to chapter 3 in verse 20 shows that both Jew and Gentile are under sin and therefore would be separated from God forever if it were not for Jesus's intervention. Uh, turn the page to chapter 2 and look at verse 5 with me. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. See, there's going to be a righteous judgment of God, and the Bible defines that all people are sinners, and Ezekiel 18.4 says the soul that sins, it's going to die. This is why God dispatched his Son from heaven, the incarnation, to take on flesh, so he could take upon himself our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in 
him. The moment we place our faith in the finished work of Christ, there is a deposit made into our lives, into our souls, and it's righteousness. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The Chinese character for righteousness is most interesting. It is composed of two separate characters, one standing for a lamb and the other for me. And when lamb is placed directly above me, a new character is formed, righteousness. Isn't that what the scripture teaches? John the Baptist pointing to Jesus, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the lamb above us is our substitute. (laughs) And when we look to him for salvation, because Jesus Christ died for our sin, shed his blood in order that we could be born again, we are given the gift of righteousness. And it's quite a gift indeed. So we have seen God is righteous. Jesus Uh, by way of extension, the scripture teaches, is righteous also. Number two, God's righteous nature is revealed in his word. And as we go from Genesis to Revelation, we are so blessed to understand just how righteous our God is. God's righteousness is received by faith. Uh, God has always worked through the means of faith. That's why when Paul in Romans 1.17 gives us the just shall live by faith, he's picking up on an Old Testament theme, brings it right into the New Testament, because without faith, we are told in Hebrews 11.6, it is impossible to please God. So faith is essential because it is the instrument that God uses for our salvation. It's critical, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift that is salvation of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And and let me just um, build just for a moment before I introduce point uh, number four to you. Uh, look at Romans 4. I'm going to throw this in at no extra charge. Romans 4, verses 5 and 6. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for, here's our term, righteousness, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes, he puts into his account, righteousness apart from works. And in Romans chapter 5, in verse 17, for if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, that is through Adam, he goes on to say here, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So God's righteousness is received not by works, but by faith. And then finally, our fourth point, pursue righteous living. Pursue righteous living. Let me read to you First Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. In the previous section, the Apostle Paul was pointing out about the rich and how they become high-minded because they're independent at times, because they feel like they don't need God, because godliness with contentment, 
we saw back in verse six is what? Great gain. And that is the love of money, not money, but the love of money that will pierce many through with sorrow. So it's a dangerous thing to allow money to sit on the throne of your heart. And Jesus showed the contrast, did he not in Matthew 6.24, that you cannot have two masters, uh, speaking there about God and mammon or material possessions, because you will love one. And you cannot love both simultaneously. So Jesus exposes the danger of having money sit on the throne of your heart as your God. And that's why after Paul shows the danger of having another God, the materialistic God, and by the way, all of us are susceptible at any moment to falling to that God, even at the end of First John, Down in verse 21 of chapter 5, there John writes, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And an idol is like a proper noun. It can be a person, it can be a place or a thing, anything that replaces Jesus on the throne of your heart becomes an idol. So by way of contrast, but you, and I love the expression, O man of God, flee run away from these things and pursue. Before I speak about the word righteousness, we need to zero in on the word pursue, dioko. It can mean to pursue, it can be used to persecute. It's someone who is aggressively going after someone or something. So we are to aggressively, with all of our might, pursue what? Number one, righteousness. And I and I pray we do. I pray it's a priority to understand who God is, that he's righteous, that we will search the word and understand more and more daily about his righteous nature, that of course we've received, I trust, by faith, uh, God's righteousness, but then here, then we will pursue it. Uh, over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, down to verse 22, as we bring this to a close. 2 Timothy 2, 22. Notice the command, flee, run away. Also from what youthful lust, but pursue, same term, same idea, to go after aggressively, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, but notice with whom? With those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Are you child of God? pursuing God on a daily basis, that your heart is yearning to understand the God of righteousness better, and you're striving to imitate his righteous nature. It was Mark Twain who said, always do right. This will gratify most people and astonish the rest. Funny quote, but let me give you one that's far superior. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. See, blessed are the individuals who hunger. I mean, there's a craving and thirst. It's like the deer uh, who's panting for water. So our soul should pant after the living God. That's the concept in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I pray 
that you would come to know the righteous God better. How do you learn about him? Through the word. It all begins this journey by faith and the finished work of Christ, but then on a daily basis, we need to be pursuing righteous living, doing what is right based upon the nature of God and what is revealed in the word to be pleasing to him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are righteous. You always do what is right. Abraham could appeal to your righteous nature. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is right? You always do. I thank you so much that you reveal yourself, not through only creation, but more specifically, the word of God. So may we, Lord, those who have been justified by faith, those of us who now know what it's like to have imputed righteousness, may we pursue righteous living to please you each and every day. So when we stand before you, our character will match your nature, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for watching today's sermon. Uh, there is a book that is the basis for the 14 lessons, Attributes of God on Fire. Uh, there are actually 10 other fire books. So you can learn more about us at comermanorbiblechurch.com. And then I have a foundation, Ken J. Bird Senior Foundation.com. And finally, we have a father and son podcast. We would love to have you join us. God bless you.